Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Hola, 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 and it's not bonjour, 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 but welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. And what a pleasure it is to be back on this podcast with you. Hopefully, we'll bring the energy we had before into this new Grand Tour, the Vuelta, the Tour of España. And uh, before we welcome the co-host for me today, then let me remind you that you can download this podcast and listen and stream on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash central from our website, sbs.com.au slash central and by reaching our lovely friends at Zwift. The co-host today, and I've mentioned how excited I am on Twitter to uh, be working with him, is Pacho. Hi, Pat. Hi, it's great to be here. It's awesome to have you. You know, like uh, I'm, I'm so excited about what we are uh, planning to do and what all the plans we have for this podcast. Well, it's exciting to be part of it. And uh, I know we've spoken a bit this last week and uh, I think we've got a pretty strong and shared passion. Absolutely. I mean, who doesn't? If you're listening to also to a, a cycling podcast, I guess you must be a cycling nuts. Well, I love the podcast and we see them ever growing, but... Uh, uh, particularly the Tour de France podcast, which you headed up, really interested me. And um, like I said to you, I've been listening to it while on the Go Zwift and, um, and, and nutting out a good session. But it's, uh, it, it just gives you something else to listen to while you're on your bike. Absolutely. And a big shout out actually for the everyone that is listening to us while riding. Uh, I guess we have to say ride on. Yeah. We do. That's what we say. <laughs> right on. Uh, let's talk about the Vuelta Tour of España. This uh, edition for 2017, which every single stage is actually shown on SBS, and that's actually an awesome, awesome achievement from SBS. Well, it's been fantastic, and it's uh, it's, it's troublesome on one side, I think, because I'm getting a lot less sleep than I probably would have at this time of the year. But it's uh, amazing because the Vuelta is always an exciting and entertaining race and that we have seen so far. I mean, this week we've seen some cracking uh, attacking... Uh, uh, dare I say, this week has even been more interesting than the three weeks at the Tour de France in terms of the racing. Well, it generally does that. You know, the Giro d'Italia and the Vuelta are generally more entertaining, but obviously the Tour de France is the biggest race for the riders and that's what they look forward to every year. Absolutely. Why is the Vuelta so entertaining? Do you think it's because we're reaching the end of the year and then uh, riders that are reaching this, this end of the season go, you know, what the heck? I mean, what, what, what worse that can happen? There's only the worlds after this, really? Well, I suppose you've got riders that are coming to the end of contracts. They've got to fight. These are the last races on the calendar. What better way to do that than at a Grand Tour? Uh, you've got riders that are generally informed for the Tour de France. So when they arrive at the Vuelta, maybe they're a bit tired. So it actually gives riders that may be considered second tier general classification riders the opportunity to, to beat the heads of state, so to speak, and put themselves right on the map. Absolutely. So far, so at the time of uh, recording of this podcast, um, we have had six stages. We have had uh, six different winners. What do you make of this week? If we look in details, what, what impressed you in, in all those uh, stages and all those winners? We're talking Lampert, Nibali, Trentin, uh, Lutsenko uh, and Marcinski. Well, I suppose uh, the dominance of uh, Quickstep has been uh, phenomenal, but we expect that now. They're such a well-crafted team and they execute fantastically. But uh, the 
the one that's really got me was uh, Lutsenko. What a victory that was. Um, even though the wins uh, by quick step have been phenomenal and the team's time trial was very exciting, his win was fantastic the other night. And we see that uh, guys that are just down on general classification are still being aggressive and not giving up. Do you know what? I'm going to confess on something. Luchensko is the only stage win I haven't seen live. I fell asleep 3.2k away from it. <laughs> I had to watch it in the morning. Yeah, well, and then uh, that's not a problem because then you can just watch the replay on uh, Cycling Central. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was needed because all I heard in the morning going, what a win, what a win. Uh, I had to check it out. <laughs> Uh, we are from in the leaders jersey in the red after one week of racing. Look, the question I've got for you, if that was at the Tour de France in yellow, we would say everyone's riding for second from now. That's not necessarily the case here. Well, no, and I don't believe it is the case. I think this is actually going to probably be one of the most exciting Grand Tours of the year. Um, and there's definitely challenges on the way up. I think Contador had a really bad first uh, hill stage and we saw him lose some time. But he's soon since come out and said that he had a bit of uh, t- uh, stomach issues. And, well, hasn't he lit the firecracker up the last few nights? He's not waiting now. He needs to catch up time. He'll be aggressive. I think, And, and the- we know it's his last Vuelta as well. Yes, it is in his last race, and he's not going to just roll around. He never does anyways, even when it wasn't his last race. The last five years, all he's done is entertain us. But um, with with regards to Froome and Team Sky, I sense a little bit of panic almost. They're being very aggressive in the first week. It's very unlike them. I know they did it in the Tour de France, but then they really backed off the afterburners and just went to defence. The issue was when Froome first attacked in this Vuelta is that uh, Chavez followed him easily and had mm-hmm. no issues. And I think that really shocked for him and probably is a concern for him. Uh, I, I sort of predict that in the week three, we might see Froome uh, tire as he did last year okay. and we could see a surprise winner. Uh, and Chavez, I mean, how how surprising it is. Uh, I would say the answer is probably not really surprising because he's, he's, a, he's a very good bike rider and we can see there in this uh, in this instant he's, he's second on a, on the ladder. Is um, definitely the hope for Orica Scott as a GC rider. Well, yeah, he is one of the hopes, but I don't think that the Yates brothers are out of the question either. And that's the thing with uh, Orica. They got this three prong attack, and they also got Jack Haig just just out in the back in the shadows. He finished tenth overnight. What amazing effort that was. Yeah, true. Uh, but uh, Chavez is is a brilliant rider, and he's come here with form. He'll handle the heat, and that's going to be the biggest challenge for a lot of these riders is the heat. Um, They only just had a hot day the last couple of days. Before that, they were uh, high 28, 29 degrees. Um, But once they start heading up towards that 40 degrees and get on those mountains, it's going to be a test, and uh, he won't have any trouble with the heat. Actually, we had a good question uh, overnight on Twitter. It's a question uh, by uh, Irnet Neutrino. Uh, I don't know if the accent is correct, actually. (laughs) Let's say it's correct. uh, The question is great, actually. Is Orica three Andy climbers? Who and how should they be uh, utilised? And which is the protected one, in your opinion? Well, in my opinion, it probably the protected one at this point is Chavez. However, it doesn't seem they're riding in that manner. Uh, when Chavez followed Froome, he was doing his own thing and the, both the Yates brothers were sitting together with Jack Haig. So I think it's almost that Chavez feels experienced enough to sort of take control of this first week and they'll reassess on the first rest day. But uh, Neil Stevens has come out and he said, the, G- the leader of this team is the team. And that's that's the big thing. Like, we know the ride that they did last year uh, as a collective unit. And the Orica Scott team, they have this real camaraderie. 
And I think now that we've seen this all in all for one uh, movie come out, it's showing people even more just how much belief they have in their uh, their group. And I think we've seen over the last few years that they've weaned out riders that don't fit into that. You know, it's interesting because it, you, you really feel it's an, it's an old-fashioned sort of type of team, but in the best sense of the terms. You know, there is that camaraderie, uh, stuff that we probably could have imagined as well at, at Sunweb uh, over the Tour de France. And that is, as an ex-rider, how important is this? Well, I think that, that you're 100% correct. And I think that probably you see a lot more of this type of relationship in a team in, say, a, a continental team, a lower team that needs to bind together to achieve a result because if they don't it's impossible and now teams at the highest level are realizing well hang on if they're doing good results from a a continental without the resources if we could get this camaraderie and this culture installed in our setup what results will we achieve? And we've seen that already with Sunweb and Orica Scott. Okay. Uh, if I look at uh, the route uh, ahead of us, they, I mean, we've almost gone through the easy part. The, the hard <laughs> is really ahead of, ahead of us. It's hilarious, isn't it, to think that it's the easy part. And, and, and I uh, saw an interesting post on uh, uh, Twitter earlier in the week. It was this face of shock with uh, uh, the organisers speaking before the race. And it's got uh, a little bit of a caption saying... Well, we had to dodge up the uh, the, the profiles in the, in the race book because uh, we have too many hard finishes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you look at it, it's mountain stage after mountain stage and after medium mountain stage and other mountain stage. That's, this is what's ahead of us. Well, and before the, the Vuelta started, we knew that there was probably going to be two bunch sprints and two individual time trials, and they were your flat stages. It's oh, Well, one uh, team's time trial. But uh, it's not really a tour for the sprinters. We've seen that the fast men aren't here, but uh, entertainment will be a delight. And I think because of the how tough this uh, parkour is, that uh, that's why we will see some uh, riders that we consider favourites. They will crack at some point. They'll all have a bad day. And it's who has the least bad day that okay. will be the winner. And actually, one one question for you. Uh, we've got the World Championships coming up just around the corner after the, the Vuelta. Uh, how much of an impact this has in a strategy for the teams, saying that uh, people and riders will drop off, they will not reach Madrid, maybe strategically as well because they want to be there for the, for the world. Do you see this happening in some teams? Uh, certainly. We see it every year. But not many will because most of the riders that are at the Vuelta will be going to the World Championships as helpers. Uh, I think uh, the Australians do it fantastically. Most of their squad usually finish the Vuelta. If they can't finish the Vuelta, they probably don't get selected. So there's that urge for the riders to do so. Um, and a pretty exciting one for Australia too because I think Michael Matthews has to I be the yeah. <laughs> outstanding favourite. And uh, news overnight that they're really trying to build that team around him, which is an interesting thing because you've got the trade teams and then you've got the Australian national team actually in the background saying, this is the team we want to, f- f- uh, to create for uh, Michael Matthews and well, I mean, we can openly say in this podcast, Michael, uh, Michael Matthews, or Michael, if you don't win this championship, there will be a lot of dis- disappointed faces in the morning. Well, there will be. And there's a lot of riders that are actually out there training to, just to help him. I know Richie Port, for example, has come out and said, I am rushing back from injury to try and get fit to help my mate. 
And uh, how that good shows is this? how good is this? Like uh, we're talking about that camaraderie mm. uh, at a national level, it's 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 awesome. You you've lived through that as well yourself. Well, you can you consider that they're from different trade teams. But when when Richie Port crashed out of the Tour de France, Michael Matthews contacted him, and the one thing that Richie Port said, "Go get that bloody green jersey." Well, he did, didn't he? So <laughs> now it's sort of like, well, I did what you asked. Now come and help me win a world title. Hey, talking about camaraderie, we'll take a short break. Uh, we'll talk to Shane Perkins after that because he talks a lot about this camaraderie in the news that broke uh, over the over the last couple of uh, days or weeks uh, of him uh, becoming a, a Russian national to be able to write. Actually, what's your take on this? I love it. He's a tremendous p- person in, in general. I raced with him a lot as a junior, particularly in our years as learning the craft on the velodrome. And uh, you know what? All the success he, he gets, he deserves. And, you know, he still represents us as a country. Okay, that's great. Uh, look, uh, just to conclude on the Vuelta, we just go and do a, a run through the, the general classification. Uh, Chris Froome in red. So as a, as a leader, we've got Chavez, Esteban Chavez uh, in second. And Nicolas Roche on, uh, on the podium in third. Uh, Nicolas Roche, actually, just quick word before we, we move on. He's been, uh, in the last few years, you know, built up as one of these GC contenders. Uh, what do you make of this position? He seems to do really well in the Vuelta. Uh, I'm not sure what, what the reasoning is. You'd think from Ireland he doesn't handle the heat. The, the timing, maybe? But it could be, and he's preparing for world championships often as well, probably, because he gets the, the free reign at, at the Irish national team. But... Uh I see him falling apart at some point. I uh, just don't, haven't seen it in the recent times that he can hold it together. However, he might be urged on by the fact that Van Garderen is also up there. Okay, let's take a short break. And then when we come back, we had a, an exclusive chat with Shane Perkins. We've been talking about Zwift a lot as a sponsor, but did you know it's available on PC, Mac and iPhone and iPad? That means it's super easy to get on with just your trainer and your bike and your phone if you want to. That's pretty cool and it's pretty simple. It makes it a lot easier just to get started, which is often the hardest part. So get started and check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. And now in a, in a podcast, we are we have the enormous pleasure to talk to Sean Perkins. Hey, Sean, how are you? Good, man. Good, going really well. Uh, we we've heard a lot about you in in the recent weeks uh, in in the news, uh, and and that's why it's great to have a chat with you. Uh, we've heard or we've read uh, headlines like you defected to Russia. How how is this whole happen? And and also defected is pretty, it's a pretty strong word. Yeah, sure, defected is a pretty strong word, but. Uh you know, it's fine. The, everyone can uh, make up any any words they like, but as long as I'm happy, that's what matters. And I, I'm proud of myself and uh, proud of the decision to, to continue riding my bike. But yeah, look, basically how all this came about was actually last year um, I was going to retire because, um, you know, obviously Rio Olympics, I didn't make it for the Australian team, even though you know, I did feel like I did enough to at least be there as a reserve um but that you know wasn't even possible so that that was un- unfortunate but uh you know in the lead up to rio i was also funding myself for for the couple of years leading up to that so you know basically i thought at the end of last year that after my stint in japan that i would i would likely retire and accept the coaching job with of which i had a, a few offers from around around the world um so obviously i've got a family to think about too so not not just about me and riding my bike um yeah, I've got to got to make some money to to support the family as well. So that's hence why I was thinking about retiring. But yeah, basically a good, a good friend of mine that I've raced in Japan with over the last uh, years is uh, Dennis Dimitriev, um, you know, bronze medalist from the Rio Olympics in the sprint and uh, world champion this year in the sprint from Russia. 
and he obviously knew my story and what was going on there. And I sort of said to him that I was thinking about retiring and, but I, I, you know, my ultimate dream was to, to race in Tokyo Olympics and win a medal um, in Tokyo because, uh, you know, I've got a bit of, bit of history there with my father competing in the Tokyo Olympics back in 1964. And obviously my special connection to Japan, having raced here the last eight years for Japanese Kieran. And, you know, when I told this to Dennis, he obviously thought I was crazy to retire because we're the same age, only 30. And, you know, you've got guys like Chris Hoy winning the Olympic Games at 36, 35. You know, Shane Kelly competing in the Olympics at 37, you know, make, making finals. It's you know, still plenty of time and plenty of good results left in the leg. So he obviously thought that it was silly that I was thinking about retirement. And then we started to discuss potentially racing for Russia. And um, you know, I thought it'd be a great idea because obviously, you know, I love love racing my bike. And if, if there was a chance to continue, I'd love to do it. But you know, obviously, it's a, it's a pretty big thing applying for citizenship in, in another country. So it was obviously a lot of details that we had to look at and and find out first but you know, I thought it'd be a great idea and um, we could make a strong team sprint together with Dennis Yakushevsky and myself um, one of the other riders um, in Russia who's a, who's a standing starter and um, they obviously needed someone for the Kieran as well which I have a history in being a former world champion and you know all the stars were basically lining up so we thought we would uh, we would give it a go and, and see if we could pull it off and Sure enough, uh, Mr. Putin himself signed uh, the executive order um, just last week to, to grant me citizenship. So, yeah, we're off, off and rolling. How did you receive that letter? What was your feeling when you received the letter? Was the end, the end of a certain journey and probably the beginning of a, of a new one? Yeah, obviously, um, you know, I was actually in, in Russia last week for the national championships um, and I got the, the phone call on the Friday, um, just a few days into the competition. And obviously leading up to that, I knew that, you know, I'd obviously committed to this, but until you, you you hear it or you know that it's actually happened, there's still a level of uncertainty, you know, in your mind. And, you know, that was tough, obviously, training leading up to it, knowing that oh, it's not 100% yet. But, yeah, when, when I got the news uh, about the citizenship being granted, it was, um, you know, it took, I was obviously happy when I first heard it, but it took, you know, maybe an hour or two for it to really settle in. And, you know, the emotions started running then and, realize that wow we're, we're really we're on this journey and and we're headed towards tokyo olympics so for me this is just awesome and uh, what what an experience too absolutely and and uh, i guess the racer in you uh, straight away had the eyes on on tokyo 2020 yeah exactly that's um you know that's my ultimate goal and you know it's funny enough the next day i won the national championship in the kieran so you know, hopefully that's a good thing and a, a telling of, of things to come. How was the reception uh, back in Australia? I mean, uh, I guess on, on social media, you probably had people supporting you and people uh, uh, giving you some, some hard time. I mean, if we look at the other way, uh, Gavrilova did it the other way. You know, she came from Russia and plays for, for Australia right now. Have you experienced some double standard there? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's people support of it. People have their negative opinions about it but you know what i'm really i'm really lucky i'm really grateful that you know the cycling community in australia actually has been completely supportive of my decision and and respectful of it and i'm really grateful for that you know it obviously shows that they're they're appreciative of, of how i've handled these things and also um how i've ridden for australia in the past um you know at the end of the day i'm still an australian and yeah although i'll be racing for russia at the olympics and i'm obviously grateful for them to for giving me a shot at you know, whatever happens in the future, the results I'll be getting are for Australia and for Russia. There's no no doubt about that. Uh, I'll be doing it for me, my family, and supporters back in Australia. But you know, also the cycling community around the world has completely supported my decision. And you know, um, obviously for that, I'm I'm really grateful. Yes, okay. There's you've got you've got the negative ones out there, but 
you know, they're, they're the people that don't really know me. They don't really understand the story. And, um, you know, we just we just shut them out and move forward. But I'm, I'm really lucky that, you know, m- most people around the world in Australia have, have really gotten behind me and, and really wishing me all the best. So for that, I'm, I'm really thankful. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not losing your Australian citizenship either. You're dual national and your palmarès. I mean, you're still a bronze medal in London. You still had the world champion multiple times for Australia. So you're not losing this and people need to focus on this. And then for you, it's probably just one step, one step further. Uh, and, and also not, not singing the, the story you've been told that maybe that was your time to retire. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, um, at the end of the day, I've still got a lot of history uh, having raced for Australia previously. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for, for the support that, you know, Cycling Australia and, and the people in Australia have given me in the past. Yeah, like like I said, sort of previously um, heading towards Tokyo Olympics, any of the results that are taken, it'll be results for Australia, for Russia and for the people that have supported me back home and, and around the world. So, you know, obviously it's uh, it's like, you know, exactly like you just said, I'm, I'm, I'll be a dual citizen. So I'll still be spending time back in Australia, training back in Brisbane and, and supporting also um, some junior riders and development back in back in Australia, part of the the Cycling Queensland um, program as well. So look, I'm not completely shutting myself out from from Australia or Cycling Australia at all. There's still things that I'm passionate about there, and one of them is development of cycling in Australia. And um, hopefully, even in Russia, I can I can have a hand in in trying to develop some some young juniors, and uh, hopefully we can just make a a better world for for track cycling. That's that's my ultimate goal. Ah, that's great. Uh, have you been uh, welcomed in Russia? I mean, uh, here is made the news in Australia, of course. Has it made the news in Russia? And what about outside the the, the cycling community? Have you have you heard some some words about uh, you um, becoming a, uh, a Russian citizen? Yeah, look, actually, it's it's been uh, it's been pretty huge. Uh, you know, Russia is a big country, and they have a lot of people. And um, you know, when the the, the news broke, um, yeah, we had so many interviews to do it was um it was quite amazing you know it's just really really lovely to see that it's um you know obviously the emotions kick in when you see something like that and you know people we're just people we're we're all the same okay maybe we race or we ride for a different flag and all that sort of thing but we still live on the same planet and uh still all from the same place and so to see russia really welcome me and uh bring me in like one of their own and as i am now um, it's fantastic. So, you know, for me, it's it's just really beautiful. And how's your how's your Russian coming along? Ah, yeah. So I'm obviously doing a little bit of work on that now, but there's still a ways to go. It's um, not an easy language, but uh, look, I've got some some great teammates and great coach that, you know, every day they try and teach me something new. So I've just got to be a good student and try and pick it up. But yeah, obviously, sometime in the future, I, I would love love to speak Russian. It'd be be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I've got one last question, and uh, because um, over the week as well, in, uh, we've of course uh, learned the loss of uh, Stephen Woodridge. Do you, do you have a thought about this? Do you, uh, do you have a, a message around it? How did you learn this news? Yeah, obviously saw um, obviously the, the you know the the media and the news around it all, which was uh, yeah a pretty sad sad time. And uh, Big Steve, he yeah you know, he played his part in my life too, as he did with with many people. And um, you know he he looked after me actually when I first went to um, Adelaide for with the AIS for a training camp back in I think it was 2003. And he was staying at Del Monte there, and uh, you know I was a young 16 year old, and you know, he was a guy with a you know big smile and and happy to sort of help you out and look after you. And you know he did that for me and supported me. And then also later on down the track 2006 at my first world championships he was there and uh, you know he's just one of those guys that was always happy to happy to listen and you know one of those nice guys of the team so for that I'm really grateful and yeah it's 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 sad 
you know, to see that, um, or he felt the need to to go that way. And obviously, a lot of people have missed him, but at the same time, we've, we've got to respect his choices. But I think it's a, you know, for for cycling or sport in general, you know, we just need to remember that, um, you know, there's a life after sport as well. And for some, you know, it's it's and most actually, it's it's really difficult. Um, to, to move on from that because you go from such a big high to, you know, what, what people feel in normal life is such a big low. So, you know, I think just getting the message out there that um, there are people here that, that love you. And, uh, you know, I always have this belief that no matter, you know, some people feel like themselves are insignificant or, or whatever, however they feel, but you, you should always remember. And I really believe this, that you can always learn something from every person and you can always teach every person something. Um, you know, every person in the world, I think that that's true. So, yeah, I think everyone, we just need to remember that we can, we have something to offer everyone. Um, so your life is, is not, not insignificant by any means. Absolutely. Some very wise words here. Thanks, Shane. It was a, a pleasure to have you in the podcast. Uh, you're always welcome on, on SBS and particularly in this Cycling Central podcast. We wish you best of luck for the, for the rest and we keep an eye on you. Thanks, Shane. Awesome. Thanks very much for having me. Did you know that Zwift has hosted the first ever virtual Fondo? Yeah, it started back in March with the Maratona Does Dolomites eFondo and they've since created a series of Fondos once a month for anyone to join. It's a really cool way to join a challenging mass start participation event that rewards competition. Everyone gets to ride at their own pace and try to set their best time. The first eFondo in Zwift had over 3,000 participants. Impressive. Check out Zwift for yourself at Zwift.com today. And uh, it's time now in the podcast to, to talk about the transfer market. And it's a pretty incredible year ahead of us. It's already shaking and moving. And today in a pod, we have Sophie Smith back with us. Hey, Sophie. Hello. How are you? I'm really good. Are uh, you uh, okay with that Tour de France or that windmill? Uh, we're all back in Melbourne. All it, good? It does. It takes a while to recover from. It took me a few days or a few weeks, I could admit, to know what day it was again. But I'm there. I'm back. <laughs> we're not going to complain because it was brilliant no, to do it. Always you know? a great We can't experience. complain. We can't complain. Uh, transfer market. Market has been uh, shaking and moving left, right, and centre. Uh, Katusha, I guess, if we start with them, because we just had a Shane Perkins, so let's stay on the on the Russian theme. Uh, Katusha are really the big players in that market right now. They're certainly for me. They are that they've been sort of the team to watch this transfer market. There's been a lot of signings that I've found personally really surprising across the board. Um, Katusha Alperson, for me, with they've so long been known as as the Russian team. I think they're actually German registered now with um, co-title sponsor Alperson being yeah, absolutely. Um, You're right, yeah, German right. shampoo. Uh, but just the sheer number of marquee signings um, is something that's interests me. They've got Marcel Kittle coming across, Nathan Huss coming across, Alex Dowsett coming across, Ian Boswell coming across, all international names at a team that for a long time to Western press has sort of been inaccessible. They have been considered or been this Russian team where not a lot of people speak English and you've kind of just bypassed their team bus they because were, they of were one of bit... those reasons, because there's no one you know there, because you can't speak English to them. But and, and they were a bit the the Kofidis of Russia, you know that team you just pretty much yeah, yeah. You're right, you bypass. Oh, they're there, yeah, <laughs> and keep going. So, I actually spoke with um someone from the team earlier this week and just put it to uh, their spokesman. Do you have? Is it fair to say you're really focusing on international signings this year? Because just from the names we've mentioned, that's Germany, Australia, America, um, and Britain 
covered off and they're not even all of the people that have, are signing for 2018. The spokesman said it's the correct that we are aiming for a more international roster, but he's saying that started already a year ago. In 2017, we had 14 nationalities. We lost a Norwegian being Alexander Kristoff and an Estonian. So an Australian being Haas and an American being Boswell are very welcome. We took them as we believe in them, but if they would have been Russian or German, we would have done the same. That was said before it was confirmed that Kittle and Dowsett were coming yeah. across. So, but this, despite the flags, okay, despite the fact that they're all coming from a, from a different country, mm. I mean, signing Marcel Kittel, you know, you're citing yourself for stage victory at the Tour de France next year already. Mm. And I haven't spoken to Marcel personally as yet since he's signing, but sort of reading between the lines and what's been circulating in the press, it sounds like the team has sold to him that he will be especially at the Tour de France, their main man. Like they will build a squad around him. And I think that's something he was cautious of at his former team or team for this year, quick step, because they've got Fernando Gaviria sort of sort of hot on his heels. Um, I'm not sure if cash came into it. I'm not sure what Katusha's budget is. It's obviously quite large <laughs> if you look at the teams that yeah. they're signing, the names that they're signing, sorry, and they are spending money. That's quite obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it'll be very, Marcel will be very well supported there. And the team's not overly foreign to him. It might be foreign to some of us, but it's got a German sponsor and there's a lot of uh, some of his former teammates that ride there, including Tony Martin. I think that was a big draw card for him. And we know he likes a good haircut, so the shampoo is probably going to uh, Exactly. <laughs> I'd say there's a nice sponsorship deal in there somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Haas, that's an interesting move for him as well. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm not sure where his thinking was. I know when he first moved to Dimension Data, um, he loved it. He was really enthusiastic um, about being there, loved the team environment. I think Dimension Data, when they first went World Tour, kind of had that sort of underdog feel about it. Um, how he goes next season, I'm not sure what opportunities they've presented him, but I think across the board, they're obviously presenting these guys more than cash in, in the names that they've signed because these are big career decisions. Like People like Huss and like Marcel, they're you know, in their late 20s and the next few years will be the peak of their careers. But Haas has worked with Cavendish at Dimension Data, so mm. a big ego sprinter is going to work with uh, with Kittel there. Does that play in this environment? I don't know if he's worked um, sort of in, well, he has worked with Cavendish in, in a grand tour sense. I don't think he's worked within an elite um, yeah. lead out train. I would say for him, he vocalised at the start of this season that the Ardennes Classics personally um, were big objectives for him. And that's certainly what he was focusing on this season. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's um, a first consideration for him and, and Grand Tours are a second consideration. Having said that, he wasn't um, down, I don't believe, to do the Tour de France this year, but he was pretty disappointed on missing out. Absolutely. The other one we have to talk about is the, the worst kept secret in the Tour de France this year. Landa is moving to Movistar. We knew that over six weeks ago uh, but it's been officialized it's uh, it's also a pretty interesting move and a team that's going to have a pretty interesting lineup as well how do you say hashtag free lander <laughs> in spanish is what i asked earlier he's left team sky like you said everyone knew that at the tour and um, i'm not sure why though to be honest <laughs> i guess obviously it's more of a home team for him but in terms of opportunity everyone thought if he was allowed to go at team sky this year he would have done a lot better at the tour than what he did, but he, he wasn't. He towed the party line. He did it as he was told. I personally am happy he didn't because uh, Bardet finished third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, that would have been uh, not so pleasant no for me. No bias there. Jeez. <laughs> I'm op- openly, I am. Journalism 101. <laughs> openly, Being objective. Open. <laughs> um, it'll be interesting to see what they do at Movistar because Naira Quintana, we thought if Lander would go across to the Spanish team that Naira would leave. 
but he hasn't. And the American press is reporting that Quintana will be movie star's main man for the tour next year. Um, and Lando will do the Giro and Alejandro Valverde if he comes back from that awful injury that he sustained at the tour this year. Um, that could be, pr- prove career ending. I'm not I'm not sure at the moment. Um, that might be the rough go. But for Lando, I don't know what the appeal in that is because he's done the Giro the last couple of times, last couple of years, I should say, with Sky. Hasn't gotten here with it. So why he'd go to a Spanish team for the same opportunity? I don't know. And I also don't know how strict movie star are in terms of leadership at the Tour de France. Sky goes in every year. We're going for Chris. We don't care who you are. You're writing for him, period. And they can have arguments on the bus. None of it None of it matters. Everyone's on that same page, no matter who they are or, you know, what their price tag is or what their ego is like. It'd be interesting. Uh, another uh, interesting move that we need to uh, to talk about is, is what uh, Team UAE is, is currently doing in that market. They were present at the Tour this year. They were present on the season this year, I should say. Uh, but we were all questioning what was that team sort of about uh, in that first year. But right now, they're spending big. And we've got uh, Rory Sutherland, but we've got uh, Dan Martin moving there. I mean, what's your views on this? It's an interesting team. Everyone's looking at it, I think, like they're a new squad because of, you know, that UAE team Emirates um name. It is, you have to remember, a subsidiary of an old group that's been around since like 1991. So they have a very um, set way of doing things. Ben Swift is a British sprinter. He joined this season and I've spoken to him at length about what it's been like riding for that team. And he was quite open and saying that he's been open and giving his ideas to them and and sort of contrasting how Sky works to how they work. I think they're less marginal gains and more that sort of old school um, slog it out. But for me, next to Katusha, they're probably the next team that's spending a lot of cash uh, with the future in mind and, again, becoming a bit more international. I think the core staff of that team is still Italian. Um, But you've got guys like Dan Martin, who's leaving Quickstep to go across, Rory Sutherland, the Aussie veteran coming from Movie Star, and, of course, Christoph, as we mentioned before. So I'd be interested to see. I don't think that team for me personally, and I might get shot down for saying this, has sort of a clear leader or a few leaders and group of races like Grand Tour, stage races, classics that they're targeting. So I'll be interested to see how they sort of approach things um, during the 2018 season and particularly with Dan Martin there because he's been a Lone Ranger at the tour the last couple of years. He was again this season and did very well with next to no team support. So it'll be interesting. Okay. And uh, we've got another one. Uh, Tony Galopin, I think he's surprising. He's moving from Lotto Soudal uh, to AG to Arla Mondial. Is he, in your opinion, uh, the right person to help Bardet to go that one step further? You just want to keep talking about the French, don't ah, you? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you. What, that's what they employ me in. <laughs> you're, not, you're meant to be objective. <laughs> Good to know for next time, though. <laughs> All biases can be brought to the table. And um, maybe, I actually don't know a lot about Tony Gallopin other than um, I've never personally worked with him closely. Obviously, you can see from how he races that he's very aggressive. I don't know if that computes off the bike as well. Bardet, for me, off the bike is very softly spoken and doesn't say a lot and kind of avoids eye contact. So when he gets on the bike and achieves the results he does, it's you kind of wonder, like, it's like chalk and cheese personalities. But um, if 
galloping can bring like an that kind of aggression that we've seen him sort of attack with or get away with um, this year and in previous seasons. I can't see how that would be bad for Bardet. Okay, and then you're going to hate me because I've got another Frenchman to talk about, but uh, Barguil. Uh, Barguil, I mean, the move apparently was uh, or re reportedly signed almost before or discussed before the Tour de France. Uh, Fortuneo Oscaro. Uh, they've just signed probably the biggest signing of their story, their history. The energy we saw in Team Subway with Matthews and Bargill this year, uh, then he was a one-off. We're not going to see this again because Bargill is leaving. That, for me, that's probably the most surprising transfer of the season. There were murmurs of it going around at the Tour and it just seemed, I actually will admit I dismissed it because it just seemed... Like And odd, like, just seemed odd. Like, why, if you're Bargill and we saw him do what he did at the tour this year, would you go to a, I think, a pro continental yeah. team? Um, obviously, there's that French influence there, but Sunweb, I've worked quite closely with them for, for years now. That when they were giant Alperson, giant Shimano, skill Shimano, I can't remember how many mm -hmm. cycling and sponsorship. Yay! <laughs> I don't, I don't, I can't, however many incarnations they've been. But, For me, it's an interesting move and I'd like to know sort of the, the mechanics behind how that eventuated because they changed their entire direction for Bargill and, and Tom Dumoulin years ago. And that was a huge call when you consider at the time they had previously, they'd been working for Marcel Kittel and, and John Degenkolb who sort of made their breakthroughs with mm -hmm. these two guys. So it seemed really confusing that you'd put these two star sprinters to the side and say, okay, we're actually going to change our entire focus to... GC and behind these two riders who at the time actually weren't that proven. So given that he's had that opportunity, had that backing and he's made and he's made this choice, I don't know what's gone through his mind for yeah. for that to be a good move. Uh, whether it's got something to do with Dumoulin, he won the Giro d'Italia this year, so I don't know if they've said to him, the Tour de France is yours next season and Bargill's not interested in the Giro or the Vuelta. I'm not sure, but for me, that when I read that that had been confirmed, I was shocked. Because we have to remember that the team next year are losing one rider again. Mm. So the, the, the places on the teams next year will be even more hard to get. Absolutely. And yeah, I think that's probably been quite important in the transfer market and what agents are looking for for their riders. Do you know what? We are in uh, late August. I'm already excited for next year. I know. Any more French questions? No, that's why I'll have more for you next Brush week. Brush up on my language <laughs> skills next week. Absolutely. Thanks, Sophie, for popping in. Thank you for having me. And we take a short break and we uh, finish this podcast with a chat with Pat again. And we see you on the other side. From the virtual world, Zwift produces real-world results. Zwift employees recently put this to the test in Iceland at the Wales Cyclothon. With a team of nine, they went head-to-head -head with some of the top teams in the world and they won. Funny backstory to it is that to make the team, Zwift employees had a selection program where they all had to try out through competing in a series of workouts. Once selected, they then did their training primarily on Zwift as a means of really putting the product to the test. Learn more about Zwift and their team at Zwift.com today. Uh, welcome back and uh, thanks to Sophie actually for this uh, for these little features on the, the transfer market. Welcome back to the uh, Zwift uh, Cycling Central podcast. Uh, Pat, you're back with us. Any surprises on this transfer market? I mean, it's got to be Kittel. Well, Kittel is a surprise to many, but uh, it was well um, rumoured that he was going to move and that Christophe was moving on. And I love the signing at Katusha of Alex Dowsett. It really strengthens their lead-out train. And look, uh, Pat Leverve and uh, Quickstep got uh, Kittel on a dime. They used him up, got great success out of him, and it was a really well-wagered uh, risk 
but now he moves on to Katusha and they move on to better things themselves. Um, it's a fantastic uh, signing, but uh, my main one is Nathan Haas. Our Haas, it's great to see him go to Katusha. He's really happy with the environment that he'll have there and the opportunities that are forward for him, and, and he deserves it. He's had a fantastic season. Um, it's it's great to see from a personal side of things because I was teammates with him in the National Road Series, um, and I've always stayed in touch and seen his development. He's just really close to nailing one of those big victories, and I can't wait till he does. Absolutely. The next season is going to be uh, incredibly interesting, actually. Uh, let's talk about any other news uh, this week in the uh, world of cycling. And we have to start about uh, Jack Bobridge. Almost an incredible story. Uh, Jack Bobridge has been charged with drug dealing. That's that's in WA near Perth. Um, I mean, what what I mean, surprising news? What do you make of this? Well, it's extremely sad, is what it is. And Shane Perkins touched on the fact that uh, towards the end of your career, and when you retire, you need to find that that median. That how do you find happiness? What do you do? And, and I suppose it's going to be the big question's going to come out is where did the support system fall apart for uh, Jack Bobrich? Uh, is, is there a support system from Cycling Australia? Are they the right person to put something in place to make sure riders that are becoming ex-riders, that are retiring, are actually well looked after? Well, I suppose it's a good point. It's a valid point. And, and um, does it fall just on Cycling Australia? Does it fall on uh, the sports networks and, and other um, organisations in Australia? Yes, it falls on everyone now. We know the mental health issues and we know those things. But it also takes a person to be open to uh, having assistance. And sometimes that can be the main issue is that, uh, and we already know with the complications around mental health, is that a lot of the time getting assistance and being open to assistance is the hardest part. Um, and that's yeah, Accepting that you need, you need yeah. help. Well, because the big reason generally that you're suffering is because you're in denial of you, of you needing it or you feel that if you ask for help that you are weak. And the facts are you're not. Everyone has struggles throughout their lives. It does seem more prominent in the sporting world, but that's probably because the, the camera's right in the face of these athletes, uh, not just in cycling, but in all sports. But as uh, Shane Perkins touched on, you know, no one's insignificant in this world. And when you think you are, you, you've got to remember that there are people out there that love you. Absolutely, and, and that's a very wise word from Shane, but also from, from yourself. Uh, I mean, how good was Shane? Uh, Shane was fantastic, and it's so great to see because, you know, he's, he, his life in the sport has followed certain trajectories over time, but uh, you know what, I just... I've, as, as much as he won't win that gold medal for Australia, I hope he wins a gold medal. <laughs> uh, any other news this week that uh, I've caught your eyes? Well, we've obviously got the National Road Series uh, Tour of the King Valley uh, on this weekend, and we wish all the riders the best of luck down there. It's a lovely event. It's actually one of my favourite events that I ever did in Australia domestically. And uh, they've got the famous Strada Nero, uh, which does the Groval sections, which is actually like a, a playoff of uh, Strada Bianca. And, uh, yeah, it's quite an amazing race, so we look forward to seeing that. And you know what? What I'm looking forward is to have you next week back in this podcast. It's been brilliant to have you around. Thanks, Pat, for, for joining us. And then uh, I guess you'll be uh, one of our guests on a long uh, distance of this podcast. Thanks very much. And uh, right on. And uh, this is it for us uh, this week on the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to be back on the airways with you, uh, talking everything cycling and that Grand Tour, Tour of Spain, which is always a great moment of the year. Thank you for uh, joining us. Like I said, you can uh, always uh, stream or download our podcast from uh, our SoundCloud page soundcloud.com slash cyclingcentral and you can always also hit our website sbs.com.au slash cyclingcentral and give our lovely friends of Zwift a go and a ride right on uh, 
next podcast will be released uh, next week roughly at the same time hope you enjoyed uh, every single stage again on SBS television either on SBS or on SBS Viceland I was uh, Christophe Mallet hosting you this week looking forward to see you next week and for now I guess it's adios hasta luego bye for now